Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I are here with Corey Bryant and Brian Mills. So Brian's been on with us several times. Corey, I think we only had you on. You've been on here once or twice. One time we did my introduction podcast right after I started. Why don't you just take a second, Corey, just remind folks who you are since this is going into your first crop season back in Stoneville. Corey, Brian, I'm here uh, in Stoneville doing uh, soil fertility research, predominantly focusing on uh, cotton corn and soybeans. And Corey's quasi-local. He's from southeast Arkansas, and then he graduated from Mississippi State, too. You uh, worked in Georgia for a couple of years and then came back last year, so we're looking forward to having Corey with us this summer. And, of course, everybody knows Brian. I've been around here. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's been around for a few years now, of course, doing our county meetings. Guess how many times have you done that besides the year we didn't do them? Have you done those? Twice. Twice. Yeah. So it be like 2020 and then 2022? Yep. Yeah, because yeah, I got here fall of 2019 okay tom why don't you take a second tell folks kind of what idea we had to talk about this morning the general gist of this morning's topic would be the continued increased price of inputs in the commodity markets as well as just the overall turbulence that seems to be occurring i mean we'll cover some of that turbulence within the corn and soybean markets as it stands right now. With Corey here, obviously we want to relate that to some fertility topics as well. Ironically, Tom, you sent me an article this morning unrelated to this about crop mixes changing due to fertilizer prices. So I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of that. So Corey, since you've only been on here once and Brian's been subjected to my questioning in the past. You mentioned something before we started, so you can use that as an example, which I will say would just be a weak answer because you've already talked about it, doesn't require any thought. But what's the worst job you ever had? The worst job I've ever had, it's it's hard to to narrow it down to just one. We'll give you two. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The weak answer, when I was summer worker for the entomologist in Arkansas, uh, I didn't look busy enough one day there on the farm and had to uh, help with a study spreading human waste as a fertilizer that they failed to mention until halfway through spreading that uh, we were, in fact, spreading human waste. They said, hey, come open these foil packets and help us spread. And That's pretty low on the totem pole, dude. I think I was buried I was the part of the totem pole at that point that went in the ground to hold the rest of it up. I'm going to try to just glance over some of the comments that he's made, like the fact that we're using a full packet for some of that, and then the fact that Corey just mentioned that he was buried. I'm I'm enjoying some of these things. (laughs) Spreading, buried, full (laughs) packets. I guess that the next, I spent a lot of time building fence. I built a fence one time. That one time. One, one time only? Uh, yeah. <laughs> for, for some reason in my undergrad, I thought that would be a, a good way to make side money, was to spend my weekends building barbed wire fence. Probably the funniest story out of that, I built one right underneath the old Greenville Bridge for a hunting camp. Guy got tired of the, the commercial fishermen coming up his road to use the bathroom, so he wanted a three-strand barbed wire fence and had zero service. My dad forgot I was going over there that Saturday, left real early. He called, of course, no service. I couldn't answer, so he left me a voicemail that said, uh, 
Hey, just wondering where you are, uh, if you were dead, in the hospital, or in jail. I guess if you're in the hospital, call me back. <laughs> <laughs> if I was dead or in jail, he didn't want to hear from me. Of course, you'd have to know Corey's daddy. He had a pretty unique sense of humor. V- very dry. We've done, Tom, I don't know, two or three, three or four maybe episodes where we've at least brought up the topic of supply chain questions, pricing questions, everything kind of in that arena as it relates to 2022, which continues to shape up as probably the most unique year that we've experienced in agriculture, at least in the time that that I've been working in it, uh, maybe even in my lifetime, which is longer than Corey's and Brian's lifetime, Tom. But not as long as yours. Right, thanks. thanks. <laughs> you That's saw, where mine mind was going. You I was saw hoping that you weren't going to go there. And I was yeah. like, doggone it. Why am I always the oldest person in the room lately? Brian, why don't we start by you just addressing maybe where we are on projected crops? We're sitting right here. I mean, today is April 1st, and we're probably, all this aside, would probably still be at a really volatile time on crop mixes because weather things changing at the last minute but i guess give us your best estimate of of where we're headed for crop mixes the usda just came out with a projected planning report i think it was yesterday um and so from that report we're looking at a lot more acres of soybeans across the u.s um record amount i think they're 91 million acres of soybeans we're up four percent from last year Corn acres, it looks like a lot of people switched with these high fertilizer prices. A lot of people switched from, from your corn to your soybeans. So we lost, we're looking about, lost about uh, 4% acres from last year on corn. I think it's 89.5 million acres is what they're thinking on that. So we're kind of seeing just from, it's kind of strange. You see these high, like six, $7 corn prices, and we're still losing acres just because of sort of this fertilizer impact. Cotton, I think it's, pretty even maybe up a little bit on those acres um and then rice is is down i think they're projected to be down about a hundred thousand acres so and i think here in in mississippi is about five thousand acres less of of rice compared to last year compared to last year yeah okay sorry i'm just and i don't even recall what we had last year under a hundred thousand we had about i think it ended up at a hundred and five thousand and so they're projecting about a hundred thousand and i never found that last ten percent all right, Brian. So in line with those acreage estimates, how will that impact commodity price? It's a little different, difficult to sort of look at that with a sort of Russia-Ukraine situation because we don't know how that's going to play out and how much sort of production is Ukraine going to have because they do produce a lot of, say, wheat and, and corn. Um, but just from a, a standpoint of, of acres, I mean, we already have pretty high corn prices. If we sort of reduce that supply, I mean, we're down to 89.5 million acres, you're probably going to see some some upward uh, price pressure on that, that it's going to maybe keep going up. Uh, soybeans, I mean, we're looking at a record crop. Brazil was already looking at a record crop for soybeans, and so we're looking at a lot of soybeans being produced. Uh, we might see some some downward prices on that because we are if we are bringing in all those acres of soybeans, I mean, we're going to have a lot more um, at the end of the year. What makes the ceiling for a commodity price, for a soybean price, is there a point that it just can't go any higher? Like soybean price? Well, I'm thinking about fuel. There's really no ceiling for the price of fuel. I mean, it could go up indefinitely because we're using fuel 
in all aspects of society, but then a commodity like soybean, corn, cotton, is there a ceiling? And if it is, what does it look like when you hit that ceiling? I would presume that based on last year's acreage, you would have an expectation for the next subsequent season's acres. So your outward projection on that would be based on what the crop had produced last year. And that would influence price moving forward because you have a continued demand for that commodity. Your carryover is always going to have a big impact. That's usually how much did we produce last year, how much do we have now. And from a price ceiling, like there's not really... I wouldn't say there's any other sort of set price ceiling that you, you're not going to be able to go over because the, there's a lot of different factors Yeah, in but that. there's it's, a price that's unsustainable, right? Yeah, but, I mean, ag is one of those that usually we adjust. If I'm buying soybeans, is there a price at which I'm not going to pay X price for this product? Yeah, I don't know because it, it depends on there's, – there's so many different factors on right. that, on, on sort of what they're buying those, those soybeans for. And if how available sort of are those substitutes? Well, and how much remains over your your existing stocks from last season? Right. How much is left over? How much are we going to be producing now? Silver so soybeans, we're going to see those, those prices go down. But I was thinking about fuel. I'm putting gas in my truck, and you're putting gas in your truck unrelated to agriculture. But then you got this other commodity over here, whether it's soybeans, corn. At some point, surely I'm not going to pay $30 a bushel for Well, and my thought has been recently that the reason the price has continued to move up is we're just attempting to offset the fact that fertilizer prices are going through the roof. But are we? Well, we are and we aren't. Does that statement make any sense? Because... It's flip-flopped. Soybean prices are all of a sudden going way up, and corn prices are up, but they're, they seem unsustainable. Obviously, we're not going to $15 a bushel corn, right? Because then we'd we have, don't know that. Right, we don't. But <laughs> And you'd have to base that, I would think, on historically what we've done. Are you going to pay $15 a gallon to put gas in your car? At some point, I'm going to have to pay whatever I have to pay at the pump. I can't ride my bike to work. I live 30 miles up the road. I would actually pay money to watch Tom ride his bike to work. I could. I mean, it'd take me about an hour to get here, but I could do it well, if I needed to. Something like gasoline has a lot more inelastic demand. Well, like it, and it changes, and those prices can change, and the demand is pretty static. Like you can't change and just, all of a sudden, I'm going to ride my bike to work here. It's a lot harder. Yeah. Um, but, like, something like corn and soybeans, since it's, like, you only – harvested one time a year it takes a while for sort of those adjustments okay so we might yeah. not we if, i don't think it'll go crazy to where it hits that sort of upper price but um people next year are probably gonna you're gonna see those changes or you might see acres brought in sort of to production which we thought we would but we really didn't i mean it's kind of surprising usually when you have six seven dollar corn you bring in acres like some people take it out of crp or, or whatever um but we didn't really see that I don't know if Brian can answer this, but do we have any projections for fertilizer prices? Tell us where it's at right now, Brian, and then maybe where it was at a year ago, if you've got that. I don't have those exact okay. numbers. I know we are up a lot <laughs> from my, I mean, a year ago, we were, that's when we kind of started to see the, the climb in your fertilizer prices was a little over, about a year ago. And I mean, we were potash was three four hundred dollars a ton. 
Now it's up around over a thousand, around a thousand. Urea is up around a thousand now. But this year seems unique in that all fertilizers are up in price. We we knew that those potash prices were up last year. Yeah. Because that was regularly discussed at anything that we had through the extension service. This year, it seems like everything's way up as a result of several things that are influencing the market. Yeah. I mean, there's Russia, Ukraine is a big one. China sort of cut back exports starting like last fall. We've seen some sort of supply chain issues, uh, trade issues in your Black Sea area. And so we it's just been sort of this perfect storm of all these different issues coming about kind of at the same time. Uh, we we put a lot of tariffs uh, on some countries as well, uh, especially, I mean, now we have tariffs on Russia. We have tariffs on, on Belarus. We import a lot of fertilizer from Russia, usually. I mean, last year they were second behind uh, Canada for 2021. Those tariffs essentially increase that price, and so now we're probably not going to be buying a lot of fertilizer from them. And so they go from our second supplier to uh, maybe not buying our... I mean, I think they've cut off exports completely of fertilizers anyway, so we sort of take out that large amount of fertilizer that we're no longer getting. Uh, so you're going to see... You could see some steady increases in prices from there as sort of we switch to maybe different suppliers. Where can we get... Um, some of these fertilizers from instead of Russia. How substantial a supplier is Russia for some of those things? Because you said Russia, we've we've influenced that market and obviously the price of that by imposing tariffs on them. And mm-hmm. then if China cuts back, so what other sources do we have? China, we didn't, we haven't really imported a lot of fertilizers from in a while just because we have had tariffs on them for years. I think 2007 is when we started, and then like 2017, I think we put additional tariffs on them. So we they haven't even been in our top 10 of, of, of fertilizers, even though they are one of the largest fertilizer producers in, in the world. Um, but like Russia, Russia is, they're one of the, also one of the largest producers. Um, but for us, for 2021, they were they're our second largest um, imports came from Russia. Is that all fertilizer or one element in particular? All fertilizer. Okay. Yep. Most of it is so your your nitrogen we get nitrogen from them um since they're a large sort of uh, oil and gas producer and then your potash uh is another big one that we we import from them. So but Canada's our our number one uh we get most of our fertilizer from from Canada though, but Russia is still a big major part of that. Um, and then a couple other ones, I mean, Morocco, we used to import a lot from them. We put tariffs on them. So we don't import as much from them. They're a large producer as well. Trinidad, Tobago, uh, Belarus, we have tariffs on all, all of them as well. So we've kind of put tariffs on a, a large amount of the production or export market. Uh, so that's kind of also adding to why we're seeing these, these higher prices as well. Corey, Tom and Don and I... Did a podcast, I don't know, probably late January, Tom. That'd be right. And talked about this type of stuff in general. I guess among the three of us, we agreed that probably herbicides and fertilizer were the things that you probably didn't want to cut in a year where supply challenges and pricing challenges. Uh, We're by no means experts on that and that was just three guys sitting around talking and knocking ideas around and coming up with an opinion so in light of what brian 
has said about pricing and where we're getting our fertilizer and what are our options going into 2022 to kind of zig and zag and make it through this crop. I I would agree with with what y'all said on the earlier podcast. I mean, I definitely don't want to see fertilizers, you know, inputs cut if, if we need them really at all, because, you know, one of the benefits we do have this year, fertilizer prices are up, but as we were talking about, we also have higher commodity prices. And so that can, that can kind of help us pay. Uh, I know I've talked to some growers that they've essentially built up that soil bank of nutrients. They pull a soil sample, they're testing high to very high and, and they're like, I'm going to take this year off. I'm not going to apply anything. I've just, I've got enough in the soil, which is an option uh, if, if you're testing in that range. However, you know, I, I look at this year, we have high commodity prices, like I said, to help offset that higher fertilizer price. And we don't know what next year is going to do. Uh, we, we, we don't know where commodity prices going to stay up or fertilizer prices going to stay up. A worst case scenario, if, if you're trying to tap into that soil bank and not apply anything to save money in 2022, you're going to mine that. Well, that, that could almost guarantee you're going to need to apply in 2023. And, and then do we run into almost what I would consider a perfect storm, commodity prices come down, fertilizer prices stay high, and now I don't have the soil bank to help me. So I would recommend at least some kind of application of something this year. You know, if, if, they, if we have growers that want to cut and they're dead set on they are going to cut, of course we have to look at every system individually every grower has to look at their practices individually you know most of these nutrients are are basically all of them that they have to be incorporated to work potash nitrogen those sorts of stuff we we can incorporate with water if we're going to cut i want to start looking at more timely applications uh so for instance in in corn if we're going to cut our nitrogen I don't want to cut a nitrogen rate and then go out and apply everything at side dress, at V4, V5, V6, whenever we're doing our side dress. I want to start looking at ma- making some splits in there. Okay, I'm 50% at, at side dress and then, you know, coming back and it may be a 25% at a a V8 to a V10 and fly on a, a tassel shot. And, and really in any crop we're putting it on, if we're just dead set going to make a cut, then we need to start looking at our applications. Now, we, we don't want just one big slug because we're going to get denitrification, leaching, that sort of stuff. We're, we're losing a lot of so if we're going to cut that's what i'm saying we we need to to be more judicious with with our application timings and start looking into into some more splits with with potash we can even consider 
you know, some more splits on that. If if we pulled a soil test and if we're just at a maintenance rate, basically, um, say we're, we're growing soybeans and we need 60 pounds of potash. You know, we, we may be, this may be a year that we put half of that out, you know, up front if, if we don't already have it out. And a lot of our guys put out in the fall. Um, but if they're doing some spring applications, we could go half of it and then just kind of keep an eye on the crop. We, we basically know, hey, we're going to tap into this soil bank a little bit, but I have put some to help counter that. That could be a way to, to kind of try to play that and, and keep an eye on the crop, maybe some tissue sampling throughout the year to kind of keep up with it. Later in the season, come back with that other half. There's data from Arkansas. They could go as late as R1 with a recovery application of potash and, and still make maximal yield in soybean. Uh, so, so we do have some wiggle room there to, to put some of what we need out, you know, now pre-plant, at planting, and kind of keep an eye on the crop and see what we're doing as we get closer to that R1 growth stage. Now, again, that's not, I would rather go ahead and put it out. If your budget can justify it with the higher commodity prices, but if we're dead set on making a cut somewhere, it just basically comes down to being more judicious with our application timings and, and not trying to put everything out at once. I don't know that any of us can expand on this, on this at least thought or comment, but in my world as a plant pathologist, there are plenty of instances where you hear someone suggesting that a foliar fungicide will actually benefit how that particular plant responds or utilizes some of those nutrients. And I've done a good deal of reading and would like to try to at least calm the thought this year that if something sounds too good to be true, that somebody actually attempts to run that information past someone that may have some of that good sound science and research to at least influence that decision. And that's, I realize that's more of a thought provoking comment than a question. There's all kinds of products out there. I mean, you, you specifically mentioned, you know, some people say, if you put a, a fungicide on, it improves. There's there's a lot of other products out there outside of fungicides that, that people will say, oh, this, if you put this on, it will make you more efficient. Like you said, you know, just a, a little bit of homework into those before, before going out and making a big investment into it. A, a lot of these products have been tested by universities, maybe not specifically by Mississippi State at this point, but they have been tested. Someone's coming up, hey, put this product in, it'll make you X amount more efficient. Just a little bit of research, a, a quick Google search. Ask the sales rep, you know, hey, what's in this? What's what's the AI? Some have been shown that they actually do have a positive effect and then but then others are not as positive. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone and call one of us. I mean, I think right. at the end of the day, most of us know that we, we have our own networks of individuals mm -hmm. that we talk to on a pretty regular basis and know who's done some of those tests. And I think we all spend a tremendous amount of time 
volleying that ball back and forth across text or Twitter or somewhere else, you know, in the background to talk about some of those things. So a phone call is probably the fastest way to an answer. Well, Brian and Corey, we appreciate y'all coming in and talking about some of this. And I know we kind of got scattered there and chased our tail for a little while, but I guess the point with that is we don't know about everything that's going to happen. And it's a, it's a fluid situation. I think we've probably used that same phrase on here before, Tom, related to this topic. So stuff's changing constantly. Brian made the comment that when the new acreage projection comes out in June, it may be completely different than the one that came out yesterday, which is very possible. And there's a lot of too many factors related to that uh, to be able to predict. And then again, we're right here at the outset of planting, we got some corn in the ground or some rice in the ground or some soybeans in the ground. But in the grand scheme of the crop for Mississippi, we're really just getting started planting. So there's just a lot of factors to tease out. So just bear with us and we'll try to bring you the, the best information that we can as the situation evolves and the season progresses. Well, and I think everybody listening should know that you know we really appreciate Brian and Corey being here, and I think it offers a good snapshot of probably what's happening, at least for the time being. But I think they should be aware that we're all here and available to help for one-on-one consultation and asking some of those difficult questions because I think that's easily going to change in the next few weeks and that a lot of that will end up being weather-related. I keep wondering when spring is going to hit because it's still been pretty cool nights. We thank you both for being here. We thank our continued listeners, and that's something that, I mean, we definitely enjoy doing this. We want to continue to bring you current and meaningful content, so keep up the comments. Follow us on social media. Don't be shy, and don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call us if you need some help. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. 